Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Metro Theatre Company's next production, a partnership with Jazz St. Louis, is called Bud, Not Buddy, a play that premiered at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. The production opens Sunday and runs through February 25th. For more, here's producer Alex Hoyer. The play Bud, Not Buddy is based on a children's novel of the same name that won a Newbery Medal for Excellence in Children's Literature. It's about a 10-year-old African-American boy in Flint, Michigan named Bud, who during the Great Depression goes on an adventure to find his father. Jazz music figures prominently in this story, and joining me to talk about that and more is Grammy Award-winning trumpeter Terrence Blanchard. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Now, you composed the score for this play, and I want to get to how you went about doing that in a moment, but... In terms of the story, can you fill in the pieces in terms of why jazz music plays prominently in this play? Well, it's just a part of the story. I mean, you know, the guy that he's looking for is a musician, and he's traveling around the country trying to find this traveling musician, and he's a jazz musician. It's a perfect backdrop to the story. It adds a lot of great color and style, I think, to the story. Mm -hmm. And so... The person that Bud is trying to find, as I mentioned, is his father, and, and so his father is a jazz musician. Is that right? That's what he believes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, he believes he's a great bass player. So before we get into composing uh, the music for this, what does Bud do as he searches for his father? Well, I don't want to give away the entire story, but, I mean, he goes on an adventure. He's living, you know, in a house with these other kids being mistreated, and he feels like it's time for him to go find his family. And in doing so, he has an adventure where he's meeting people along the way. And it's a beautiful story, I think. Christopher Curtis, you know, who wrote the thing, did an amazing job in putting a beautiful story together about a young boy finding himself. So how does jazz music figure into this? You said that that it's the backdrop. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all part of the story. I mean, you know, it's set in a period in time where jazz was the main music of the culture. There's no particular date set, but you get the idea that this is set in a time in our history where jazz was very prominent in our musical culture. We actually have a clip of a section of the play that was recorded earlier this week at a rehearsal and this is the scene where Bud is mopping in Herman E. Calloway's rehearsal hall, and he overhears what's being played. I want to play this, and, and then we can talk about it. I'm having fun, pretending to mop at someone at a washing machine, not paying attention to what he's doing, and is getting his whole body run out. Ahoy, maybe ahoy, until I hear someone yell out, one, two, one, two, three.
this man has six exclamation points behind his name. That's a clip of Bud Not Buddy, a clip recorded at a rehearsal earlier this week. The play starts this Sunday and runs for most of February. I'm talking with Terrence Blanchard. Terrence, there at the end, was that Bud clapping? Yes. Can you describe what was happening in that scene? Well, I mean, basically, he overhears the band, and he's trying to figure out who his father is, and he gets excited about the music. And it really plays very prominently in the latter part of the story because he he becomes so influenced by what he heard, he actually starts to learn how to play. How did you go about composing the score for this? Well, you know, what I tried to do with this play is two things. I tried to write music that was idiomatic, obviously, and then the other thing is is to write music because, you know, the idea was to inspire young kids to come to the theater. So my thinking was not only inspire them, but inspire them to be part of the production. So I wrote it in such a way where it should be really great for high schools to play around the country. And that's what we're trying to highlight or encourage, you know, a lot of high school of companies to produce this particular play because it's heavy laden in the culture of the jazz world. It'll be great for young kids to play this music to get a sense of the of the period, and then also the collaborative process of bringing the music together with with a theater production could be a great experience for all of those kids that could be involved. Mm-hmm. I I want to get to two of the things that you said, and something I was going to bring up later, but now's a good time as there are certainly public performances of Bud Not Buddy, but there are also school performances throughout the entire run of it. And that doesn't always happen with plays. I was intrigued by that, and uh, I was wondering what you hope young people will, will get out of it. But mainly it's, you know, well, obviously to be inspired by the story. I mean, one of the things that I love about the play is the imagery that you can create in your own mind just from the performances, you know, of the actors and the story itself. You know, when we first did it in Washington, D.C., man, it was just an amazing thing to watch all of the kids be on the edge of their seats experiencing this play, even though there was no scenery or nobody running around the stage or doing anything like that. And to me, it really speaks to, you know, the, the art of imagery. I, I was trying to find another word, but that's the only word I can think of, you know. And... And the thing that I kept thinking about was how cool is it in this day and age where everything's on the screen and it's telling you what to think that kids can experience something where they're allowed to let their own minds wander and create the scenery, create the backdrops and create the sounds and smells of the play while they're watching this. Yeah, I think that's one of the beautiful things about theater and end of radio in, in terms of being able to create a visual image of what you're hearing and not being spoon-fed what the images are supposed to be like you are on TV a lot of times. Well, no, that's the beautiful thing about this. I mean, when we first did it, you know, I was just totally floored watching it in rehearsals. But like I said earlier, uh, I was a little nervous at first because of the, the climate that we live in, you know, where you are fighting for everyone's attention every day through the phone, through gaming, you know, television, you know, computers. And to see these kids literally be totally engaged in this in the in the play, man, was amazing for me. I mean I I, I was totally floored by watching it and having that experience with him.
Is there a particular moment that stands out in terms of what one of the kids said to you after they saw this? Well, no, I didn't get a chance to to, to speak to any kids, you know, because um, they brought me up afterwards to take a bow. So I didn't get a chance to talk to a lot of kids after the show. I was backstage. But just watching them, mm-hmm. you know, I looked around the auditorium and literally, I mean, there were kids that were sitting up on the edge of their seats, not laying back, being bored. They were like, most of the kids that I saw, they were all into it, man, 24-7. I mean, they were totally committed. And it was really cool to watch. And you talked about inspiration. What do you hope that they're inspired to do? Well, first of all, it's to create. That's the one thing, is to go out and, and be creative. And, and hopefully it can inspire them to go out and chase their dreams. I mean, that's the whole idea behind the story. You know, this guy, this kid had a burning desire and had some questions that weren't being answered. And he set out on his own to go get those answers, and he got them, you know. So hopefully it will inspire some kids not to sit back and be complacent, but to be proactive in their lives and taking charge. People in St. Louis know about you in addition to not knowing about this performance, but uh, you also composed an opera, mm-hmm. Champion, which premiered at Opera Theater St. Louis in yes. uh, 2013, I think it was. Yes. How similar or different was the experience of working with a play like this to uh, working on that? Uh, well, there are two different things. Because with the opera, while the opera is enormous and grand, you do get a chance to see how the visuals, scenery, moving around the stage, blocking the, 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 the performance, has a huge role in telling a story. So with this, what I tried to do with the music here, and, and in the opera, a lot of the music, while it can give you a sense of the period, it's also a score. You know, it's scoring the drama. Well, with this particular play, you know, the music here is basically a flavor. Mm-hmm. It's another character, actually, you know, mm-hmm. because they're referring to the band all of the time. And then you hear the band play. And then with the transitional stuff, you know, it's just keeping, it's staying in character to help with those transitions. So therein lies the main difference. You know, the the music here in the play is a, is is its own character in the play, and then with the, with the opera, the, the 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 music is there, you know, to help score the drama. I mean, obviously you have melodic content with arias and special moments, but for the most part, I'm there supporting with the, with the singers or, or, the, or supporting us. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this play, you know, there are moments where there's, there's this large stretches of moments without music at all. Right. I'm talking with Terrence Blanchard. He composed the score for Bud Not Buddy, a production of Metro Theater Company in partnership with Jazz St. Louis that begins this Sunday at the Grandel and runs through much of February. One of the things, Terrence, about your artistry that I've always appreciated is that when compared to some other musicians, what you do seems to go, and this is hard to describe, but but it goes one step above in that you're not only a jazz musician, you're not only a composer, you're you're not only into jazz, that, that you are into these other things, whether it's associated with a play mm-hmm. or an opera. And, and I'm wondering how you think about the way that different aspects of of our culture connect with one another? Well, you know, it's it's so interesting 
uh, that question because I look at all of these things as being part of the whole. They're just different elements of the entire creation. Like if you think of cumin, you think of salt, you think of curry, you think of paprika, you can all put those things into a dish, but they're all spices and they're all different, but they all contribute to the whole. And that's how I look at it. Music to me, whether I'm doing an opera or I have an electric band called the E-Collective, we can edit release our second CD on Blue Note, or, you know, whether I've done, you know, stuff with my jazz band or whether I'm working with a big band. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for this particular play, it's all story-driven. It's about the story. And one of the things that I've been trying to do all my career is that once you learn the the mechanics and the craft of creating music, then the rest of it is storytelling. And of course, you're always going to be growing in terms of learning new things and adding to your craft. But the essential element is to tell stories. And that's where I try to draw similarities from throughout all of those different genres, whether it be jazz, film work, an opera, or a play. Mm-hmm. You talked about different spices, and I kind of imagine the different audiences that go to an opera, that go to jazz at the bistro or to a play, that you could consider those different kinds of audiences as different spices. Sometimes there's overlap and sometimes they mix with one another, but are are you conscious of the fact that there is an opera crowd and that there is a jazz crowd? Are you conscious of those different audiences of course because people have their likes you know Mm -hmm. of course i see it all the time i mean you know i was just at a at a brunch before i came here to talk about my opera that's premiering in new orleans and the interesting thing about it is that a lot of those folks and i suspect this is true in just in life in general while a lot of those folks are serious opera lovers there are few that were there that came up to me and said, hey, man, I really love your music and talk to me about my past. So I'm conscious of the fact that, you know, there are people that have different musical tastes, obviously. Mm-hmm. But the thing that always interests me is the overlap, mm-hmm. you know? And I think what, we're, what we've been seeing in the last couple of decades is that overlap has grown. It's gotten wider. You know, I, I think before you would have distinct groups of people, and you still do, uh, you know, people who only go to jazz festivals and people who only go to opera festivals or people who only go to bluegrass festivals, whatever, whatever your interests are. But what I'm starting to see is like, what I'm starting to experience with, with my students and people that are coming to my shows specifically is that there's a serious overlap of people who have very liberal views about art in general and can really see past the obvious and look at those things pretty much the same way that I do. You know, it's a language. Why do you think there is more of an overlap these days? Well, I think, first of all, the world has gotten small. I know people always say that, but with the Internet and everything, the access to information, that has helped us a great deal. And then, first and foremost, you have the artists who have done it themselves. You have more artists now who have been in orchestras who do other things and have other interests. And people are starting to see that. You have jazz musicians who are performing with orchestras and writing for orchestras, you know, and, and the public starts to see that as well. And, you know, if you have people that are fans of yours, when they see you doing a wide array of things, it kind of helps to open the door for them. Mm-hmm. 
how do you assess what opportunities you pursue these days? Because I'm sure that, that you could pursue a lot of different things, but how do you decide what to get involved in? Well, I mean, it, a lot of it has to do with what the essence of it is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, the, you know, what is it trying to convey? You know, uh, there's some things that are on the horizon for me, a piece that I've been commissioned to write about civil rights. And that's something that means a lot, a great deal to me. There are people who come up to me with other projects that just don't fit who I am mm-hmm. as a person. You know, I mean, I probably could do it in terms of writing the music, but just in terms of who I am as a person, the things that I believe in, sometimes you turn down projects. It doesn't mean that the projects aren't worthwhile or worth doing. It just means that they're just not for me. Mm-hmm. And is it true that you're working on another opera? Yeah, I'm working on the second one right now. It's called Fire Shut Up in My Bones, which is a book by Charles Blow, a New York Times writer. What's that about? It's about his life growing up in Kempston, Louisiana, and the trials and tribulations that he went through, you know, the sexual molestation that he went through and how how it's had an effect on his life as a grown man. One of the things about your upcoming visit to St. Louis is that this Saturday you're performing in a benefit concert and... St. Louis natives Peter Martin and Brian Owens are also part of that. What's that going to be like? I don't know. I'll let you know when I get to Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't had a chance to talk to Peter yet, but we'll figure something out. I mean, whatever it is, Peter Martin, he's a great musician. So I know it's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. One thing I like to ask musicians is, what other music are you listening to right now? What, what, what music has you excited right now? Man, I've been listening to Lava Wimp for some reason. You know, mm-hmm. working on the second opera, and there's a recording that I have with Pavarotti, and I can't stop listening to it. You know, it's one of my favorite operas. And actually, man, 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 I do. What's also funny, I know it's going to sound weird, but uh, there's this there's this guy who's a synthesis. Uh, his name is Robert Lowe. I've been checking out his work, too, online. He's been doing some interesting things with electronic music. Mm-hmm. Well, Terrence Blanchard, it's been a pleasure to talk with you, and we're looking forward to Bud Not Buddy as well as the Benefit Concert on Saturday that I mentioned, and we're looking forward to your new opera and I'm sure the many other projects that, that you'll do down the road. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. That's Grammy Award-winning jazz trumpeter Terrence Blanchard talking with producer Alex Hoyer. Blanchard composed the score for Bud, Not Buddy, Metro Theater Company's next offering, produced in partnership with Jazz St. Louis. The production opens Sunday and runs through February 25th. The play opens Sunday and runs through the 25th with Friday, Saturday, and Sunday performances at the Grandel Theater. Blanchard will also be featured this Saturday in a benefit concert for Metro Theater along with St. Louis musicians Peter Martin and Brian Owens. You can find more information at stlpublicradio.org slash stlonair. Archived versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs are available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash stlonair. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thanks for listening. I'm Don Marsh.